as she was lying there on the bed. And I said, you know, there, there lies the person that I love. And she is still in there. She's in the grips of this horrible disease, but she's still there. And I still love her. And I still want to stay with her. And that was the moment at which I knew what my decision was. I would say, listen to your heart. Don't be afraid and don't give up. It doesn't matter which program you qualify for or if you qualify for both. Listen to your heart, don't be afraid, and don't give up. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, howdy, folks. Those were the voices of Spencer and Amy that you heard at the beginning of this episode and more about both of them in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Cody, Janice, and Karen. Cody and Janice and Karen all went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Cody and Janice and Karen, for your generosity. This episode is going right out to you. Now, we're going to let all the other folks listen in, but this one is going right out to you. So real quickly, an iTunes review, and that this one comes in from Miss Lauren. And Lauren says on iTunes, it, this is my favorite recovery podcast, exclamation point. I love the way John M. conducts the interviews, and I love the, quote, meat and potatoes content he shares from the 12 steps via his guest. Perfect supplement to my program and meeting schedule. I'll definitely keep coming back. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Lauren. And you know, this is that's exactly how I want people to use this. For those who can't make to can't make it to meetings, I completely understand. And I love that you can use this as something besides a supplement, but I definitely want people go going to meetings and using that as your uh, main course, as you will. And uh, I would love to be a supplement to your uh, recovery program. And I'm thankful that so many of you honor me with that privilege by taking time out of your schedule every week to listen in to both my silliness and the content that my guests give here. So we are calling this episode Spencer and Amy, a recovery, a recovering 
family, understanding, and hope. So I made a commitment to include include more Al-Anon guests at the beginning of this year since we have so many Al-Anons listening in. And in this case, you get a two-for-one package. In other words, we have Amy from AA and we have Spencer from Al-Anon. Now, this is something you need to know. A lot of you are going to recognize Spencer's uh, voice And uh, he has his own podcast, which is centered around the 12 steps of the Al-Anon program. Uh, That podcast is called The Recovery Show, and I'll put a link to the show notes in there, but uh, it's therecoveryshow.com. And so Spencer and Amy were in town, and when I say in town, uh, near where I live, I live in the Dallas, Texas area. And they happened to be here, and uh, I knew they were going to be here. And uh, uh, we had a we went out to dinner one night, and uh, I had planned on bringing Spencer in and recording his story. Well, actually, a combination of his story and kind of a summary of the twelve steps of Al-Anon. But when all three of us were out having dinner, it kind of hit me in the middle of dinner, and I said, "Hey, Amy." Have you ever been recorded on Spencer's podcast? And much to my surprise, she said no, that she had not been recorded, and she had only recently started listening. Now, Spencer has close to 300 episodes, so I was like, oh, wow, well, that is very interesting. I said, well, would you be willing to be on mine tonight when we bring Spencer over to record his episode, maybe both of you could be on there together. And much to my, I don't want to say surprise, but to my pleasure, is that the way to phrase that? Anyway, I was just very happy that Amy agreed. She agreed and voila, now we have an an episode recorded. So this is going to be the story of their journey in recovery, both as a couple and their individual paths all wrapped up in one. So I hope you enjoy it. I know that I sure did. And keep in mind, I will have some listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody. So today... This very day right here, we are sitting with Amy and Spencer. So there's two things that are a little bit unusual for me in this one. Number one, I've never had two people on the podcast at the same time. And the other part to this is, well, first of all, Amy, why don't you go ahead and just say hello to the Sober Speak audience? Hello. And will you give your sobriety date, if you would, please? September 3rd, 2005. Thank you. And Mr. Spencer, will you go ahead and say hello to the Sober Speak audience yourself? Hello, Sober Speak audience. (laughs) Thank you. And you don't have a sobriety date. And the reason you don't have a sobriety date is why? I'm a member of the Al-Anon Fellowship, and I have what I call a surrender date. Ah, and so what is your surrender date? My surrender date is April 10th, 2002. Okay, so that's April 10th, 2002. And and Amy, will you once again, I'm sorry, I'm usually good at writing this down. Your sobriety date is what? Um, September 3rd, 2005. Okay. And the reason I wanted to make sure I had both of those on the front end is because this is going to become significant as we uh, go through this uh, particular episode. So... 
Those of you who are listening to this that are in Al-Anon may very well recognize Spencer's voice uh, because he has his own podcast. And the name of that podcast is? The Recovery Show. Isn't that a little bit... um... How do I how do I justify calling it the recovery oh, show? Right, like a little omnipotent, like uh, something like that. Right, yeah, right, you know, right. But that's I, what we called it. We were looking we were looking for a name when the three of us started this show at, at the help of, with the help of a friend of mine who has a also a recovery podcast. Um, when we were starting the show, we were looking for names that said recovery somehow, and that we could get a .dot com for. And my friend Mark said, how about therecoveryshow.com? It's not taken. And we're like, okay. There you go. <laughs> so and, there you thus, go. and thus we have a start. And so The Recovery Show, for those of you who have not listened to it before, is an Al-Anon-based web, uh, based, uh, show, podcast, right? Yeah. Podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the really interesting part to me in, in doing this episode is that we have his wife with him, Ms. Amy, and uh, she has never actually been recorded on Spencer's show before, uh, I guess mainly because he has uh, Al-Anon people or just hasn't Mostly, had an interest. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you a question, Ms. Amy. Have you, do you listen to Spencer's uh, show very much? Okay. I only recently, fairly recently um, listen to the pilot episode, the first show. I, I, for a long time was afraid of what I would hear about myself. <laughs> um, and, uh, listening to that went well. Um, there was stuff there about me, but it was okay. You know, I, uh, feel like I am coming to terms with my past pretty well. So you got sober in 2005. And mm-hmm. when did you start the podcast, Spencer? Um, let me think. December 2012. Okay, so you when we started. So you know he's in there in December of 2012, up until now, going into the attic or wherever he goes, or to the basement or to another room. You know he's in there recording Al-Anon type uh, uh, episodes, but you didn't start listening to it until just recently. Yes, I have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> <laughs> because he has how many episodes do you have, Spencer? I think currently it's two hundred and eighty-eight. Wow! Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you have some catching up to do. So, were you just not? Uh, interested in it or was it mainly like because you said that you were concerned that you were going to hear things about yourself uh definitely i'm interested i'm very proud of spencer's recovery in his own right he's got an awesome story uh and it's been huge for me and our kids i'm very happy he's so active in al-anon i totally approve of his podcast i was just afraid of what i would hear did you hear other people that knew Spencer and knew you and would you would go to particular events say hey he was talking about you the other day on a podcast no um I was aware that my sister-in-law listens to it I think I had gathered that she 
had heard some things where he was talking about himself about something I didn't think I knew about. <laughs> so it was probably going to behoove me to listen. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. So, well, so we're here today and so we're going to record an episode. So, uh, you know, Spencer has close to 300 episodes of recorded history. You can go back, you can find out a lot about Mr. Spencer. We have zero recorded episodes of Miss Amy. So I want to find out a little bit about Miss Amy and your story, and then we'll kind of go back and forth between you and Spencer. So Amy, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you, how did we get here, right? How, How did you get to this point in your life, how did you make your way into Alcoholics Anonymous? I know that there are always uh, quite a few details that go behind that, but kind of give me a thumbnail sketch if you can. Sure. I always felt different and I, and not in a good way. I, and I've heard other recovering people tell me the same thing. We just felt like we didn't fit in. And I discovered alcohol in my mid-teens, and it was love at first sight, I guess. It made me feel like I fit in better. And where did you grow up again? Fort Worth. Fort Worth. So you grew up in Texas. Yes. This is the deep in the heart of Texas. That is fantastic. <laughs> By the way, I guess we should say that we are all here in Texas right now, and it, and I'm so glad that you all were able to come over tonight. And the reason, I guess, is that you have family here, correct, Amy? Yes. Great. All right. So you grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. You fell in love with alcohol in your mid-teens. And then, but you were out there for quite some time, it sounds like, correct? Yes, a long time. I, I believe my high school friends, I'm very close to them still, would tell you, I would have told you at the time that I was an alcoholic. Um, they did not tell me. And I didn't understand that for decades. I drank too much when I could as a teenager. And then in college, I feel like at the time anyway, pretty much everybody drank alcoholically. (laughs) But uh, most people got over it (laughs) when they got out of college. My drinking was not always out of bounds consistently. I knew in grad school, even though I was having one glass of wine per day, the fact that it had to be every day, I knew that was a problem. Then uh, when our children, we have twins, were about three. Okay, so let me slow you down there Uh just a little bit, okay? First of all, did you all meet in when you were in school, in college? Is that right? Uh, No, in grad school. Okay, so you met in grad school. With the beginning of my grad school, yes. Okay. And Spencer, did you want to say something? I just want to say I was clueless. I didn't see anything unusual about her drinking, I can look back now and I can say, wow, she was having just barely enough money to buy groceries, but she always had wine on the counter. She had a wine rack. But that's hindsight. That is totally hindsight. At the time, I didn't think anything was unusual at all. Okay, so you you are seeing your drinking and you know, Miss Amy, that your drinking, is there's something not quite right about it. Y'all are meeting in grad school. He is observing your drinking and thinking, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, right? Do I have that correct? I grew up in a, I grew up in a family that I would say drank normally. 
the possible exception of some relatives, but my nuclear family, as far as I can tell, you know, they would have a glass of wine with dinner or a cup of sherry before dinner or something like that. And that was it. Her having a glass of wine with dinner seemed normal, right? Right. Okay, so your drinking then, did it start to progress after grad school? And when you had your children, you said you had your twins. And let me just m- make sure I have the timeline right here. So at some point in there, you all got married. Am I correct? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, yes, nowadays, you, ne- you never know. It'll be 35 years in July. 35 years. Fantastic. Okay, so you're, so you're getting out of school. Uh, and how long after you got married did you have your twins? Married in 84. They were born in 1990. It took a little while. We... All right. So you, so you had your children in 1990. So, and so you were talking about the time period where you had your twins. So that must have meant something significant to your drinking story. Am I right, Amy? Yes. Um, I think I am... I, okay. I love my children fiercely. I adore my children. Um, and we spent a long time trying to have children. I was kind of undone by the experience. And when you say undone, are you talking about it stressful? Yes. This is an aspect of my personality that was not necessary. I was working full time in uh, business school at night and had infant twins. I think it was a mistake. <laughs> and I think at the point that my kids were three and I still wasn't able to sleep at night yet, and it was too much, and I think uh, my drinking took off. I did not get sober. I believe I started toying with sobriety and wanting to drink less probably around then, and it took me 10 years. So you mean 10 years from that point of when yes. your kids were three and when you started using it to kind of sedate yourself to go to sleep, it progressed, but you struggled with it off and on for 10 years from that point. Yes. So I spent a long time trying to figure out how to drink like a normal person. And I am not a normal person. I am powerless over alcohol. And at the that did not work. <laughs> did you have any sort of um, a background, of a, a family background in terms of alcoholism? I think, okay, I do not diagnose my parents, but there are times in their lives, I think they were drinking alcoholically. So I, I couldn't tell you if I really have that genetically. I suspect so. Okay, so that 10 years you were drinking, uh, does that lead us up to that 2005 date? No. I, Spencer probably is better on the dates than I am. I believe I, well, he learned about Al-Anon when I was in treatment the first time. Is that right? That was your first inpatient treatment. There were some outpatients before that. So, yeah, a little bit of my, my picture of those years. At some point, Amy said, I drink too much. I want to try to moderate my drinking and um, started attending uh, a moderation program. And there were a couple of those. There was one sponsored by the university. And I was completely on board with that. I got to say, I just wanted her to be able to drink normally, right? You know, like I didn't want to go to a party and have, I mean, I remember coming out of a party one night, you may or may not remember this, but, and it was icy. And 
I said, let's walk down through the snow because it won't be slippery. And she was like, nope, I'm going on the side on the driveway and slipped and went flat on her back. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but that, that kind of thing really scared me. She's shaking her head. No, I don't remember yeah. that. Um, you know, so I thought if we can just get back to normal, we'll be good. And it wasn't until many years later that somebody read to me that that section of the big book about the persistent illusion. And it, I was like, oh, yeah, I had that too. The persistence <laughs> of this illusion is astonishing. Many yeah. pursue it into the gates of insanity or yeah. death. And so then there were, once the moderation things weren't working, I guess, you decided to go into an outpatient. And there were at least two of those. I don't remember. Because I remember going to the friends and family days. That's how I kind of like, oh, I was in this room. And then I was in that room. Um, and then um, you went to an inpatient. And that's that's when I finally heard the message about Al-Anon. Like, I remember one of the one of the outpatient programs. They were like, you know, all your friends and family, like, you would probably benefit by going to Al-Anon. And I'm like, heck no. I am not the person with the problem here. <laughs> right? Okay. Um but so when we were in that inpatient, I was there for, they had a whole day, Wednesday, it was a Wednesday, you know, get there at like eight in the morning till four in the afternoon, lots of presentations and some, there was this really weird role-playing thing about I statements with, with fellow other family members of, you know, um, there was a meeting with the therapist and somehow in there, I heard that I didn't cause it, that I couldn't cure it and that I couldn't control it. And I might've heard those words. Somebody might've said those words to me before. But that was the first time I heard them. I heard them in my heart. And I, and looking back, that was the moment that I really took that first step admitting my powerlessness in my heart. I didn't take it in my head, right? Because, you know, that would be like, no, I'm, I'm like an American male. I'm supposed to be able to fix anything, right? But I took it in my heart. And that night I went to my first Illinois meeting because like, if I can't fix her, I need to do something for myself. And maybe, just maybe, this Al-Anon thing would help. What do I have to lose? You know, so an hour Amy, of my evening. So, Amy, did you know he was going to Al-Anon? Um, I don't. I, I think if I was an inpatient, I wouldn't have known. So when did you catch wind that he was going to Al-Anon? How did you feel about it at the time? I think I probably knew and didn't know anything about Al-Anon, but... Why not? You know, I mean, everybody can use help. <laughs> right. So you didn't have any ill feelings toward... Not at all. I mean, a lot of people will, they go, what are they doing? Are they over there talking about me or something <laughs> like that? So they, they don't want folks to go into Al-Anon. I, I do remember her at one point asking me, are those Al-Anon people telling you to leave me? <laughs> I, I was very worried about that. Right. That he was, that was a huge fear for me that uh, he would divorce me. And uh, I didn't know what kind of advice he was getting. So I did worry about that. Okay, so let's cover that real quick, Spencer, since you brought it up. When people are attending uh, Al-Anon, what's the perspective there? Do you, do you hear people in the room saying, okay, it's time for you to, to check out and to leave that person? Or, I mean, how does that usually work? What I will say is if it's a healthy meeting... You don't hear that if the if with with healthy people in Al-Anon recovery, you don't hear that. Uh, what we would you share hear? our own experience, our own strength. We say this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work for me. This is my experience. Uh, and I know a lot of people who, you know, left their loved one, and I know a smaller number of people who didn't. Uh, and that seems to be 
just the the experience, but my experience is my experience. And I, I know that there are some members of the program who have told me, I'm really glad that you told your story, that you, that you talked about staying in your, in your marriage while your wife was still drinking, because that helped me a lot. Okay. So let's go back to that then. So how long were you in the program while Amy was still drinking? Well, if you take those two dates at the beginning, it's about three and a half years. And what were those three and a half years like for you? And I'm going to come back to you in just a second, Amy. I want to know what got you finally in there for at least one day at a time for quite some time now. At the beginning, the beginning was very confusing. You know, I came into the program with a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, a lot of despair. Um, and a big question, what do I do? Because at that time, I could not visualize staying married to somebody who was drinking the way she was drinking. And, and, but I also could not visualize not staying married. Okay. What do I do? And, and what I thought at that time was there's only these two choices and what I, okay. So there's one piece of advice, advice that we do give in the program or, you know, which is, well, number one, make your own decision. But number two, if you don't know the answer to a question you're facing and you're not in personal danger, you can wait until you do know what the right answer is for you. And I heard that, you know, sometimes it said, don't make any big decisions in the first year. Um, sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. But what I heard was you can wait. You don't have to make a decision right now because I sure didn't know what decision I wanted. And what I found was a different path. I found a path through the 12 steps of the program that brought me to a place where I could say, yes, I can stay and I want to. We'll be continuing our conversation with Spencer from The Recovery Show and Amy in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find a donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Spencer and Amy. So, Amy, that 2005 date that you have, Obviously, you went through a lot to get there. We all do. Nobody comes in just saying, hey, you know, what a glorious day this is. Just want to check out an AA meeting. Are you able to put your finger on an event or a time and place or a particular thought, some sort of turning point, if you will, that brought you into the rooms for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I don't want to say for good, we're all just one day at a time, uh, but this last time. Okay, um, there's a few factors. I was in inpatient treatment seven times, once for four months, once for 10 weeks, once for a month, uh, some of these were kind of long periods, um, and I would. It's easy to stay sober in treatment. I would go home and either immediately or 
before too long relapse. Now, do you remember the thought process that would go through your head preceding that relapse? Just not feeling like I had a choice. So a huge factor, I had a, uh, a professional career, and they say the thing that you put in front of your recovery is the first thing you'll lose, and that happened, and I got fired, and I believe getting fired saved my life. Hold on. Let's sit there a little bit. That kind of uh, got you a little bit emotional. What do you, can you dive into that a little bit further? What do you mean getting fired saved your life? Because that's what got me sober. I had to, ultimately, I decided I had to to get sober at home in order to stay sober at home. And um, so I detoxed on my own, which is not a good idea. But it was the right time and place. And uh, it's been amazing. I am happier today than I've ever been in my life. I'm much happier than that young person who had never had a drink ever could have been. I'm just very fortunate. Let's have Spencer talk for a little bit. You got it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll flip over to Spencer here. So, so, so I want to switch then a little bit to you all's life before and after the program. So Spencer, we've talked about those three and a half years or so where where you found Al-Anon and Amy was still out there drinking. But I kind of want to do a couple's version of, you know, it's usually what what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Well, I'd like to hear from your perspective, and we'll also get Amy to chime in here, you know, what we were like, what happened, and what we are like now. So I will say that there was a very gradual process of sort of pulling apart as I guess her drinking progressed and my failure to fix it got more and more harder for me, right? Like I was doing everything I knew how to do and none of it was working. No matter how hard I slammed those wine bottles into the recycling bin, she didn't drink less, you know? I was a very angry person inside because I was stuffing everything down. Did that anger come out in inappropriate ways? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It came out, a lot of it came out on my children. They would do something really minor and I would scream and pound the table. And, you know, I just, I look back at that and say, how was I that person? Do they remember any of that? Yeah. The one I think that captures it for me is something my daughter said to me just a few years ago. Um, She said, when you would yell at us, I would go in the other room and hide, at least mentally hide and emotionally hide. And I knew that you would calm down and I would have my daddy back. Okay, now I'm getting emotional, you know, because... That was that was the effect that my untreated Alanonism, if you want to use that word, was having on the people around me. It was coming out on my coworkers. I remember one of my bosses was like, "You absolutely have to take some anger management because this is getting out of hand." Um, I think Alanon saved not only our marriage, my sanity, and also my job because I was just I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it. 
and it was all inside. And so it just came out sideways all over the place. And then I talked about my, my moment of clarity, right? My moment of surrender where I was like, I can't do this. I actually like, I felt lighter when I heard those words and took them into me. I felt physically lighter. So yeah. So I went to Al-Anon. I started to listen. I started to hear people say, go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. I'm like, well, I don't know how that's going to help me, but okay. Because I didn't have an alternative and I was already starting to feel better. Right. So I was like, well, I want more of that. So Alanon brought me to a place. So there's, you know, I can tell a much longer version of this story, but Alanon brought me to a place where I could live in the chaos of active drinking and have serenity. Did you ever think about leaving? Well, I, you know, the first two years, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I can't leave. That was that was where I was. I can't do this, and I can't leave. What the hell? That's with an alcoholic. The alcoholic says, I can't live with alcohol, and yeah. I can't live without yeah. it. I'm stuck. Yeah. I was powerless, and I didn't know what to do. And then, as I, I think I've said this, I, I know I've said this in, in talks and on the podcast, one night I looked at her as she was lying there on the bed, and I said, you know, there, there lies the person that I love, and she is still in there. She's in the grips of this horrible disease, but she's still there. And I still love her and I still want to stay with her. And that was the moment at which I knew what my decision was, what the answer to that question that had been bugging me for a couple of years was. And it wasn't easy for the next approximately year and a half, um, especially the last bit when, you know, she was home and that led her to her, you know, her moment of clarity. I just remember you waking up one morning and saying, I don't want to drink today and I don't want to drink tomorrow. Will you help me clear the alcohol out of the house? I am so grateful that Amy was able to find sobriety for herself. Not for me, not for the kids, but for herself. Because I believe that's what's enabled her to stay sober. But that's my belief. I don't know what she would say. What do you think about Amy when you hear him talking about those last days? I just have a lot of gratitude I am very fortunate in my family. I'm fortunate in my friends and in uh, my community. I think it's kind of a miracle that I'm alive, and I'm very happy to be married to Spencer. He may have to talk a lot of the rest of the <laughs> that's time. Right. That's okay. <laughs> Amy's getting a little bit of emotional here, and I but I, but I love it, and that's why, you know, I always say a prayer at the beginning of these things. And you know this, Spencer, you sit down with somebody and you never know exactly what's going to come out. You never know which direction this is going to be taken. And I can tell you there are times where, well, first of all, I enjoy all the guests, right? I enjoy them tremendously and I appreciate all their time that come in here. But there are times where I'm sitting there in the room, right where we are right now, um, in the studio, as I call it, which is a guest bedroom in my home. And I can tell that God is right there in the middle of this, in this room with us. So, Amy, I know and we will go back to Spencer if we need to. But I, like I said, I told you before I came over here, I, I know about Spencer from this show. I, I, get to, I listen to his podcast all the time. By the way, I, just, I do want to say, 
and I'll probably put this on the beginning of this show as an intro. If you're an Al-Anon, especially even if you're an AA, right? I'm an AA. I listen to Spencer's podcast and it is the best recovery podcast out there. And I've, I've heard all of them. Okay. And just kind of doing research. And I told my wife this before you all got here tonight, you know, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in front of me. It's the one that keeps my interest. So if you haven't gone over there and listened to the recovery show, I finally got what you were saying earlier. You're saying like, we are the answer. Yeah, exactly. Like we're yeah. the only one out a there. A little bit bombastic, a little bit <laughs> ambitious, a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like a Jerry Seinfeld does this whole thing where he talks about how when people were sitting down coming up with the uh, name of Life Cereal, they were like, hmm, should we call it Life? They started out by saying, let's call it God Almighty Cereal. And they said, no, 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 we need to tone that down a little bit. (laughs) We'll call it Life, you know? So with you and the recovery show, I get it. All right. So anyway, Amy, I want to go back to you a little bit. When you think of your version really of what we were like, what happened, and what we are like now. What comes to mind for you? Can you give us some kind of turning points from your perspective uh, within your marriage? When I was drinking way too much, way, way too much, Spencer had to run the show. Uh, And I've heard this story from other people. Then when I got sober, yes, <laughs> there was an adjustment. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> um, she wants to have a say? What are you talking about? <laughs> he was a wonderful co-parent, but I'm just so happy that we can be partners again these last 13 plus, 13 years plus, uh, instead of one competent person and one very sick person. I'm just so happy that he has his own recovery and we've both grown up in recovery. I was a 47-year-old, well, I was a 17-year-old in a 47-year-old body. And so I have been privileged to grow up a lot since then. And uh, I think Spencer in his self-reflection and working the steps and being sponsored and sponsoring that process we've both grown tremendously so spencer what's your version so so not a version but your perception i should say and and let me preface it by i'm really interested in that period to where like she said, you had a lot of responsibility, I'm sure, right? You were taking over a lot of the whatever uh, household items needed to be done. Then all of a sudden, she's getting sober. She's starting to change, and you see this happen yep. with people all the time. What were the differences that you noticed? I'm trying to look back, you know, 13 years here, um, 14 years almost, uh, and, and say what? Because I know what I said to people at the time. I said... She wants to have a say in the way the house runs. I can't just run it myself anymore. This is hard. You know, we're we're fighting about real stuff again, sort of. But what I want to say to maybe the Al-Anon out there or somebody who is living with a newly sober person and you have been living with the alcoholism for some years. Um, I mean, 
if if I take Amy's word that she drank alcoholically since before we met, then when she got sober, I had been living with alcoholism for 25 years. That has an effect, a cumulative effect on how much I trust her. And when all of a sudden she's sober and maybe, and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit here. I'm simplifying a lot. She wants things to go back to how they were, how they worked, air quotes here. I'm not ready for that. I am not emotionally ready for that at the beginning of her sobriety, especially when we had, I think, a period of eight months a few years earlier. I'm, I'm not going to buy in yet. I cannot give myself over emotionally. I cannot give trust of my emotions to her at that point, right? And for me, that's been a process and it's been, a, it's, it's taken longer than I wish it did. It is what it is, as we say, but uh, it's been a long time. And what I say in meaning sometimes is, you know, it took me 25 years to get here. It's, it's taking me less than 25 years to get out. But I can't expect it to happen overnight. And so I get, sometimes I get emails from people who are, you know, their partner is new in sobriety and they're different. And I'm like, yeah, they are. And they will be, and you will be. Um, and this is normal. Um, and don't feel like you have to change instantly because you can't. And here's my experience. So that's just what I want to say about that. And so she talked about not wanting to listen to my podcast because what she might hear about herself. And, and I'm like, what did I say? Oh my God. Over the last five, almost what, six years since 2012, six and a half years. <laughs> what did I say on all those 288 episodes? <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, and I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever I said, I said it. I meant it at the time. And it is six and a half years. And that I have changed. We're in a lot. I think we're closer, more realistically, more, more honestly closer than we ever were. You know, there's that, that first period when you meet somebody and you're just getting together and everything is like sunshine and puppy dogs and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> okay. That's an illusion. And what we got now is not necessarily sunshine and puppy dogs and unicorns and rainbows, but it's a lot more real. What would either of you say is the best tool that you have acquired during either your sobriety or either your time in Al-Anon to help you be a couple? I mean, like, like I guess I'm thinking about a, a real tool that you can use on a day-to-day -day basis to help uh, couples in general be the kind of couples that they want to be moving forward. Spencer, you want to take that one first? I don't have a simple answer for that. Um, first, when you started talking, I'm like, well, the biggest tool for me was letting go and understanding what to let go of. And so that's the serenity prayer, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So let go of the things that I can't change, the courage to change the things I can. So keep that, which is basically me and the wisdom to know the difference and, and knowing what to let go of and what to hang on to. Uh, I think that's core to my recovery. But you asked about 
couples. And I think the biggest tool for me is the thing that was the scariest tool for me when I came in, which was that inventory step of getting to know myself. Because until I know myself, and that's a journey that I'm still on, how can I ever honestly connect with another person when I don't even know who I am? Right? I don't think somebody who's just coming into the program wants to hear that, but that it, that's, that's what it is. Now, I think I would say the how of the program being in the other order, willing, open, and honest, right? Honest, open, and willing. I think that's the key. To be honest with myself, to be honest with Amy, to be open as well as I can, to be willing to do those things. Amy, I know that you're involved in service work in Alcoholics Anonymous. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you do within AA in order not to be just a uh, looker-honor, so to speak, and somebody who's involved in the program? In AA, I just simply sponsor women. That, to me, is a really important part of my life. I love having a sponsor who knows all my secrets, and I enjoy taking other women through the steps. I have been very fortunate in my sponsees. I have one sponsee right now who has 31 years sober. How do you sponsor someone with 31 years? <laughs> but uh, she chose me and we've been through the steps with her working them. Now we're going through the steps together, working them with each other. So this is my AA story. I also volunteer with a a nonprofit that is not AA, but it is a uh, women's recovery organization. I love that work. So what does the nonprofit do? Okay, uh, we provide activities, workshops, and retreats for recovering women. So one of the big things, the big motives is that someone new in recovery will be able to make a create a network of recovering women friends. And I just wish I had had that. Um, I just remember how vulnerable and alone I felt. I have often said early recovery for me was five years at least. It took me a long time to open up enough to really develop big, powerful fellowship around me. My first sponsor talked about an African herd of antelope, and the, the ones in the middle are safe. The ones on the edges, the stragglers, those are the ones picked off by the lions. And uh, it took me a long time to get to the middle of the herd, but uh, it is the biggest protection I have. I can't be a good wife or mother or happy person without being sober. And that is a daily reprieve. Working with women, getting and staying sober keeps me in the middle of that. Yeah, we always uh, say in our group, uh, it's started here lately. It's kind of a new thing, at least for me. And that is, you hear a lot of people say, uh, come all the way in and sit all the way down. Hmm. Uh, I like that. Yeah, you want to be in the middle of the pack. Mm -hmm. I love it. What about you, Spencer? What, in terms of service? Yes. Well, 
Right? Oh, and one yeah. thing before yeah. we go on from that, I did want to ask you, would you like to mention the name of the organization that you belong to, just in case somebody were interested in contacting it? Sure. It's the Ann Arbor Women's Group. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our uh, website is a2womensgroup.org. And for those who may not know this, uh, Ann Arbor is in Michigan. Yes. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) There's a lot of people listening in different corners of the world. Yeah, but you know, I bet somebody just is like, oh, that is such an awesome idea. And maybe I could get some pointers on how to start one of my own, right? That's it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Service, I sponsor men. Um, I sponsor members of Al-Anon. There are very few men in Al-Anon, and occasionally a woman asks me to sponsor her. And then I have to decide whether that is a fit for me. So let me cover that real quick, and that is you are a man in Al-Anon. Yes. And as you know, Al-Anon is made up of primarily women. By the way, Amy, I'm just curious from your end, does that ever bother you, if you will, that you know that he's going to an organization that is primarily made up of women? No, (laughs) just because I know Spencer and I have no doubts about Spencer. That's great. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Okay, good to hear. So, but you, Spencer, when you got into Al-Anon and you see that it is primarily women, there's not many men around, did it, did it, uh, uh, what sort of thoughts did you have about that? I don't think I really did. I really, I mean, the, the, in the Ann Arbor Al-Anon community, there there's a reasonable number of men, and sometimes I'm sitting at a at a table. We have table meetings in Michigan, and we split up into multiple tables instead of one big group. Sometimes I'm sitting at a table where it's more men than women. Sometimes I'm the only man at the table. It just varies a lot, and uh, I don't think I really thought about it. Um, so yeah, so in terms of service, I sponsor people. I have currently, I would say, three people who are actively seeking sponsorship. Um, other people who might call me occasionally, you know, that I'm sure that works that way for you too, right? Uh, some people I meet with regularly, some people I meet with when something comes up for them because we've already been through the steps. I, I do see myself as a step-based sponsor. The first thing that I do when I sit down with somebody is we start with step one. Um, and we go as far as as far as they go. Uh, we, we're not as quite as forceful about it. I may be in Al-Anon as, as an AA. Um, the stakes don't feel as high. Um, I bet some Al-Anon members would argue with that, though. I, I just said feel as high. I understand. Um, I believe they they are. Um, for, for some people, it is a matter of life and death. It's just not as obvious. I think that's what it is. It's not as obvious, right, for most of us. My big, one of my big service commitments to Al-Anon is doing the podcast. I've been asked, I actually am alternate group rep for one of my meetings also, which is, I have, I have two meetings I consider home group uh, that I go to regularly that I participate in, group conscience and so on. I'm an alternate group rep for one of those. And I am pretty sure at some point I'm going to be group rep because that's the way that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a whole new vista of, of service opportunities open up, right? So uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but I, I like... I feel like doing a podcast is sort of a one-on-one. I like to sitting at the microphone. I'm sitting at the microphone looking across the table at you and I'm talking to you. Okay. And you are now a representative of everybody else who's listening. But I, I, I really feel like I'm talking to one person at a time. 
I hear you. Um, you know, and this is more podcast talk now, but I, I never a- anticipated that this would become what it has become. And I never anticipated that I would grow as close to the community um, as I have and think about them as much as I have and pray about them as much as I have. It just really kind of blows my mind when I think about it. All right, so before we kind of, I guess, uh, wrap things up here, is there anything that you guys want to add? And think about it this way. There are people out there who are listening to maybe a podcast or an episode like this for the first time in their lives. There are people that I call who are sober curious or Al-Anon curious, and they haven't quite made that leap yet. Uh, Share from your experience, if you can, um, and talk to that particular individual. As I said, I really didn't think I needed anything like Al-Anon, but my life was miserable. It doesn't cost very much to give it a try. I came to my first meeting of Al-Anon April 10th, 2002, after driving back home from that friends and family day at the treatment center. I went to my first meeting. I sat by the door so I could escape if I needed to. And at the end of that meeting, the most important thing that I knew, I don't, I don't remember what anybody said in the meeting, but I knew that I was no longer alone. So if you feel alone in your struggle, as I did, give it a try because there are a whole bunch of us who have been where you've been and welcome you. Do you want to add anything, Amy? Yes. I would say, listen to your heart. Don't be afraid and don't give up. It doesn't matter which program you qualify for or if you qualify for both. Listen to your heart. Don't be afraid and don't give up. Very nice. Okay, so... I made a commitment this year really to myself, and I had talked about it on a podcast at the beginning of the year, and that is I wanted to get more people from Al-Anon on the podcast this year. And the main reason was is because I noticed from so much of the listener feedback that I got that there's a ton of Al-Anons that are listening to this podcast out there. And I expected there to be some, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, there are so many people from Al-Anon listening. And so from this particular episode right here, I mean, I hit the jackpot. I got both an AA story, a great AA story, and I got Mr. Spencer from The Recovery Show. <laughs> Throwing up my hands. Okay. Um, I want to say, actually, if I, if I can, I'd, I'd like to talk to that particular thing that happens. Um, when I was early in my Al-Anon recovery, I went to a lot of AA speaker talks. Uh, there's a meeting in in my community that's been going on for years. It meets every Saturday night. Every Saturday night, a different alcoholic tells his story, his or her story. You know what what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And what I got from going to more than a hundred of those was the story is the same. The details are completely different, but the story is the same. I got. 
an understanding of the grip that this disease of alcoholism has on the sufferers who are afflicted with it, including my wife, because I couldn't hear her story from her lips. I was too close to it. But I could hear her story from other people's lips and get understanding and compassion for what she was struggling with, for what she was going through. That's the first thing I got from all those. The second thing I got was hope. Because during that time, she was still drinking most of it. I would see these people who had gone way further down, in my opinion. And now they're standing up there, sober, telling their story. And like, if it happened to them, it can happen to her. So that may be what some of the Alanons listening to your podcast are, are getting, are looking for. Because, again, my experience, I got that from listening to other, other alcoholic stories. Gives that glimmer of hope. And understanding I, and hope. Understanding and hope. Right. And I want people to know how this uh, episode came about as well. And that, and in other words, Spencer and I had talked beforehand, and we had planned on him coming over to record an episode. Uh, and then we, when I say we, me and Amy and Spencer all went and had dinner beforehand. We were talking. I was sitting across from Amy, and she was sharing something about her experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. And all of a sudden, it just went in my head. I said, hey, have you ever shared your story before? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I have. And I was like, well, you want to talk about it tonight when we go record? And they were like, well, let's see how this goes. And we had kind of a conversation and uh, Amy started telling me some of her story. And I was like, no, 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 hold it. I, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear it firsthand uh, when we're uh, sitting together in a moment. So I'm so glad this all all worked out. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up with uh, page 164 from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, just like we've been tonight. And we will surely meet some of you, such as me and Amy and Spencer, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Amy and Spencer, thank you so much for popping by tonight. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you. It was absolutely a pleasure spending time with both Amy and Spencer it made me think about those billboards that I used to see on the highway as I was driving around for various uh, dinner theater places throughout the United States. And it said, we laughed, we cried, and then we ate dinner. Uh, only in my case, it was uh, we ate dinner, and then we laughed, and we cried, and then we hugged, and then we parted ways. That is the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. Um, it has been the world to me over the past many moons now. So anyway, all right, so now on to some listener feedback. And so I want to let you know that I was wondering out loud what I should call 
listener feedback. I wanted to come up with something catchy, uh, something as opposed to listener feedback. And uh, a couple of people wrote in with some ideas. The first one was uh, from uh, Christina. Christina said, how about sound backs? Uh, And then Alan gave me this idea. He said, maybe you should call it Sobriety Speaks feedback from our listeners. And I got to tell you, I tried that a couple times. I kept getting tongue tied. Nonetheless, sobriety speaks feedback from our listeners. And then Shannon, my bride, actually, believe it or not, she texted me. She couldn't actually tell me in person. (laughs) She likes to text. She said, uh, as she thought of it, I'm sure as she was uh, roaming around throughout her day, she came up with sober snippets. And so, I don't know if anybody else out there has some other ideas. Uh, let me know. I haven't settled on anything once. I may stay with listener feedback. It's much simpler and to the point, but I don't know yet. I'm just kind of rolling around my head. But I do like that, um, that we have a community involved in this. Obviously, I make the ultimate decision because I'm the one doing this on a weekly basis. But I, I love that people are thinking about it and providing me ideas. I really do. All right. So in terms of uh, some listener feedback, this is kind of a, a side note to listener feedback, but this is in our secret Facebook group. And by the way, if you haven't joined the super safe, super secret Facebook group, as Dave calls it, uh, you should send me an email because why would you not want to be in the super secret Facebook group? I mean, really send me an email with your email that is associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, com, and I will send you an invite. Um, and you can send me an email about actually anything if you would like. It doesn't have to be about the secret Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. And by the way, I haven't mentioned it yet, but my Instagram account is at Soberspeak, all one word. I check all my direct messages or DMs as they call it in the Instagram world. I am getting so hip, hip beyond belief. But nonetheless, in the super secret Facebook group, um, Cassandra Jay created in there a recovery birthday document uh, that is, and it actually goes in order. I don't know how she did this, but it goes January, February, March. And apparently you put your name on the document or she takes the name and she puts it on a document. But I'm so thankful that she did that. Uh, and if you're in that Facebook group and you haven't uh, put your name on there yet, uh, search for the recovery birthday post. So you can, it can either be a surrender date, like, um, uh, Spencer was talking about with his sobriety date. Uh, it can be a, an actual sobriety date. If you're in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, if you're in OA, it could be a, I, I forget the name. I think it's called, uh, the abstinence date or something like that. And I apologize if I get that wrong. I can't keep up with all the terminology, but, uh, anyway, you could put whatever date you want on there. It's just whatever date is important to you. So, um, so once again, in the secret Facebook group, John N, I noticed in here last week, posted uh, something. He was looking for suggestions on a meeting that he was chairing uh, for a topic. And boy, did he get some suggestions. Now, how he sifted 
through all that to find what exactly he needed. Um, I don't know, but I know he eventually came up with a topic that he could share uh, in his meeting. And if you are uh, chairing meetings, uh, by the way, you know, I thought about it the other day. You know, all I am really, it's just like I'm chairing one big meeting. Now, in our group, we usually have at most 50, uh, sometimes there's 60 in there, and sometimes there can be, you know, 10 or 12. But I am just cheering this uh, big meeting that goes out to much more than 50 people, I can guarantee you. And uh, I thank you for letting me chair the meeting or having the privilege to chair the meeting uh, and that you all come and listen in. But nonetheless, John, he, he, he asked for these topics. And and if you are a chairperson of a meeting out there and you want some ideas on topics, um, just look for that post uh, from John N. Uh, N as in Nancy, and uh, you will see all those various topics that got brought up there. Lolinda was in our Facebook group and she posted something that I had never seen before. So I decided to read it on this here, the, uh, (laughs) you know what I started to call my podcast was The Recovery Show, which is Spencer's show, which is not where we are. We are on Sober Speak. But nonetheless, this is called The Other Serenity Prayer. And it says, God, grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. The courage to forgive myself because I'm working on doing better. And the wisdom to know that you already love me just the way I am. And I thought that was beautiful, so I decided to read it. And that is from the famous author, Mr. or Mrs. Unknown. Uh, Boy, that person gets around a lot. Nonetheless, a couple of other posts from the Facebook group and uh, Amy wrote in and she said, I've had this gift since 7-22-89, July 22nd of 1989. I live in Dallas, Texas, but I travel six days a week all over the country, mostly West and East Coast. Thank God the program is everywhere, and no matter where I go, I belong. And these podcasts are awesome. I can enjoy a speaker meeting on a long flight. Oh, Amy, that makes me happy beyond belief. That's exactly what I intended this thing to do in the beginning, was to reach out to people just like you that uh, needed a little supplement. You know, maybe they're on a long flight and they just need to be lifted up and they can listen to one of the wonderful speakers that I bring in here who are sharing their experience, strength, and hope. But thanks for writing that in, Amy. Michelle writes in and she says, Thanks. I went to my first meeting first meeting in Auckland. Oh, yes, I remember Michelle. I think we read some feedback from her last week. Auckland, New New Zealand. And it was wonderful. Everything I had hoped for after listening to lots of Sober Speak stories. Day one complete, and I'm attending another meeting tomorrow. Namaste hands and smiley face. Oh, my goodness. That just made me... uh, 
quite honestly tear up a little, Michelle. I'm so glad for you. That sounds fantastic. Do keep us posted uh, in the Facebook group. And if you want to write in, you can write in as well. Christina writes in and she says, John, I have been in and out of the room since 2012, and I spent the last year doing more research because I wasn't convinced to my innermost self that I am an alcoholic. The year ended with 28 days of rehab, and I was doing well until I had a slip and started drinking after, quote, rough shifts at the hospital. I shared at group level about two weeks ago how much I was struggling and was welcomed with open arms, as you should be and always will be, Miss Christina. This struggle has been so consuming and I felt so powerless that I've been more desperate than ever before, but unable to stop. I've been afraid it's because I drifted away from my higher power. I found a new sponsor, and she's perfect for me. She has suggested your podcast, and I've been listening for months now. Last week, I heard Jerry J, and the moment when he sits down at the table and says, quote, God, if you're there, I'm going to give this alcohol problem to you, and you take it from me. I'll keep doing business with you. If you take it from me, I'll keep doing business from you. I got that quote a little messed up. It was so simple. So I said it in the car, just me and God, and I was able to make it home from work without stopping for a week now. I'm going to keep giving it to God one day at a time and keep listening and keep coming back. Christina B. Thank you, Christina, for writing in. God bless you in your recovery. Please keep us posted. Um, I'm with you, and I would ask for those in the sober speak world to pray for Miss Christina and really to pray for all the people that write in here. And I'm kind of saying a little prayer right now with my eyes closed for you, Christina, as I am recording this podcast. And I know that God will be with you, and my prayers are with you as well. David writes in, and he says, I've been listening to Sober Speak for a few months now. I drive a truck in South Texas, and you have been my perfect companion. I was super excited to hear Gary K. He and I share Steve M. as our sponsor. My sobriety date is November 30th. Of 2018. I relapsed in 2015 after 10 years of sobriety. The grace of God and the program contained in our big book has once again delivered the miracle of sobriety. Thank you so much for your labor of love, John. You have made such a positive impact on my recovery. Well, I would say it's the speakers, but I get what you're saying. Thank you, David. David says, I am from Hondo, Texas. Well, if you're listening, anybody else down there in Hondo, Texas, say hello to Mr. David. He says, I have been taught to listen for similarities and get so much out of each of your guests. I enjoy your format of Q&A as well. 
Thank you. Thanks again, amigo David M. <laughs> Thanks again to you, amigo. I appreciate it. All right, Casey writes in, and Casey says, I live in Germantown, Wisconsin, and my home group is in Menominee Falls. Now, I actually know how to pronounce Menominee because I used to live up there in that area for a short period of time. Anyway, my sobriety date, Casey says, is September 20th of 2018, which is actually my fourth wedding anniversary. <laughs> All right. So uh, that is great. I will be sp- I will be nine months sober June 20th, and I just completed my fifth step with my sponsor. I was looking for an AA podcast on iHeartRadio, I and I found you. I've been listening all day. I have I three exclamation points. I have two boys ages 12 and 14 who know about my recovery and who are involved as well as having a super, very supportive husband. God is good. Glad to be sober today and have a great 24 hours. Well, well Casey, thank you so much. God bless you, your husband, your sons, and uh, keep up the good work. Um, Maria posts on in our Facebook, and I had asked for experience, strength, and hope in regards to the fist step. And Maria posted this, and she said, "If we don't write it down in black and white, we'll act it out in living color." Some of the wisest and truest words. I've ever heard from my sponsor. And she also said in regard to the fifth step, also, it didn't really matter that another person was in the room. It mattered that God was there. More wisdom from my AA friends. Thank you, Maria, for passing on that wisdom. Joel writes in on Instagram and he says, John, I enjoy your podcast very much. I found you while driving from Jacksonville to Montclair, New Jersey. I'm assuming that's probably Jacksonville, Florida. But nonetheless, he says, my home group is in the Montclair morning meditation meeting from 7 a.m. Monday through Friday to 7.30. Oh, wow. They must have a, I guess, just a... Uh, a meditation meeting. That sounds great. 30 minutes. Anyways, uh, on and on Saturday. Got sober in 85 and have had several bouts with relapse. Living with cancer since 2015. Very grateful and thank you for your service and hard work. Peace. XO. Joel. Well, thank you, Joel. And I appreciate you listening in and do keep us posted. And finally, last but not least, my friend Jim S. wrote in here and he said, Happy birthday, John. 30 years. Man, I want to be like you. What an inspiration. Well, I read that, but believe me, Jim, you don't want to be like me uh, in my estimation. Um, I, I'm glad. Hopefully, I've been some sort of uh, inspiration a little bit, but oh gosh, I have more faults than you can even imagine. But uh, we all want to work toward that image of 
God in my estimation. Um, Nonetheless, he says, John, I was very touched by your heartfelt words and your being vulnerable, as you said in the latest podcast. You put all of your heart and soul into the podcast every week and it shows, especially this past week. I'm out here listening, John. Thank you, Jim. Jim, I'm glad you're listening in, and I'm glad the rest of you are listening in. God bless you. I'm taking this one week at a time. I'll probably be back next week. I say that every time as it takes a little bit of work to put these things out. But uh, anyway, um, God bless. Keep, keep, keep it on out there. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Love you all. And uh, I will say this. Keep coming back to the programs, to the recovery programs, I mean. It works if you work it. Adios.